Hi, and welcome to Leto Narrative Dissidents, Episode 7. This is the quiet year. We're going to be talking about a map-telling, storytelling game uh, from Avery Alder. Uh, she is a well-respected game designer. Uh, she has also written Dream Askew, uh, Monster Hearts. Well, she wrote Monster Hearts 2nd Edition and Ribbon Drive, among many other games. Uh, her website is buriedwithoutceremony.com. But this quiet year came out originally in 2013, and it is a quiet game of telling the story of a community in a some kind of post-apocalyptic environment uh, for a year. Uh, and you go through all the seasons, uh, and the game ends when the Frost Shepherds arrive. Who are the Frost Shepherds? Well, it doesn't that it doesn't say, and that's sort of the uh, I think one of the elegant elegant elements of this game uh, is. In many ways, less is more. Yeah, this is a probably the shortest game. Well, definitely the shortest game we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in to hear what you have to say. I know I could I could talk about this game myself for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, uh, James, what was your first overall impression of uh, the, the Quiet Year? And what do, what does the game do? What does the game do? The game tells it's a it is a storytelling game. It's not a role playing game. Um Explicitly, I don't think it ever claims to be a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, you play a community, uh, a small, and as the name implies, quite quiet community, in a year after you have vanquished or got away from something. It's post-apocalypse, but a bad thing has happened. Most of the world has, has gone unpleasant. Um, and you have a year in which to basically build your community, explore the local area, build the relationships between the people within the community, and just develop. And then another bad thing is coming. Uh, and the game ends, the narrative ends at, at that point. It is, it is very rules light. It is um, incredibly rules light. Um, essentially, there is, there's a deck of cards, which can be a customized deck or can just be an ordinary deck of 52 playing cards um, mm-hmm. using what they call the oracle at the back of the thing. And um, the, each suit is one of the seasons. You shuffle each suit, you pile spring on top of summer, on top of autumn, on top of, because I'm British, uh, on top of winter. <laughs> and somewhere in the winter deck, you put the card for the uh, the frost sentries, the um, the bad thing that is, is the, coming. The frost shepherds, yes. The, shepherds, the arbitrary sorry. end. <laughs> yes. Um, so you, you know they're coming. You don't know exactly at what point. And if you want a shorter version, then you can take some of the cards out. But in the full version... You all, all the cards are going to be played out, um, or at least you're likely to miss some of the winter cards, but you'll get all the spring cards, all the summer cards, all the autumn cards, but you don't know in what order. You don't know in what's coming. And I just I want to jump, I want to make a point at that point that it sounds like it's going to be the same thing every time. It's going to be the same plot, in, plot incidents, but actually there are a lot of games, in particular a lot of the really good GMT games, like Twilight Struggle and mm-hmm. 1960 Making of a President, and things like that that use a very similar mechanic. Those they are explicitly board games, but they have all the elements coming up, just not in. And those are real world games. Those are games that are set explicitly in post-war, um, mostly American or Cold War history. Um, the elements you know what elements are going to come up. You just don't know in what order, and it's the order that they come up in that makes things really interesting because of cause and effect. Because one thing happening before another thing can change the second thing completely. Um, and essentially, you you take it in turns to turn a card to say what happens to the community. I've forgotten the map. There's a map. 
Um, mm-hmm. And this is the other thing. It's a collaborative creative game. There is a map in the middle of the table um, with you start off with, with various things. One of you can, can jump in um, and tell me exactly what, because I can't remember and my PDF has just closed itself. Um, well, I was going to add something else about the issue of, oh, it's just the same thing. And yeah, it, that's like saying every poker game is the same because you use the same 52 cards. The order matters a great deal. Moreover, much better analogy. On, this, uh, on this deck, most of the cards, if not all of them, have two meanings where it's like, let me grab my oracle here, because like a wise primitive, I printed it out. Uh, so two of clubs. Someone returns to the community. Who? Where were they? Or you find a body. Do people recognize who it is? What happened? So, yeah, most of them are have either different options or the event unfolds in a way with a lot of player input. So another one, I think it's one of the winter ones, let me just pull it random, is uh, someone goes missing, this is Nine of Spades. They're alone in the winter elements. Choose one. The community organizes constant search parties and eventually the person is found. Project dice are not reduced this week. Or no one ever hears from that person again. Well, yeah, and and you because you can choose between different questions, it comes up differently. Also, um, you never play the same game twice because you're playing with different people in different times, and you there are very few setting elements in the quiet year that are actually set in any kind. Well, not even in stone, but like um, there there are rules to sort of decide what level of uh speculative fiction elements are in this this could be an incredibly realistic game where you're just people there's no magic there's no sci-fi stuff and you're just trying to scrape by um or you could be like when i played it for role-playing bulk radio we added like giant crayfish and all kinds of crazy post-apocalyptic gonzo material um it's it's very easy to create a different run even with the same cards even asking the same questions because players are like oh well i want to say there's a crazy murderous cult next door to her. like i want to say uh this is a quite an, a very quiet year uh where we're just normal people doing normal things trying to scrape by um and yeah, so the game ends when the Frost Shepherds arrive. That means the quiet year has ended, not that the community itself is in it, although it could end. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Do does one narrate an ending, or is it always open-ended, or is it individual groups choose? It, so, says, it says when the Frost Shepherd card comes up, the game ends. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's my reading of it. Yeah, the shepherds arrive. During play, it's best to leave the frost shepherds an elusive mystery, perhaps hinting at what they might be, but never directly answering. The game ends abruptly when the king of spades is drawn. The card is read aloud, and the game immediately concludes. Once the game is over, it's fine to talk about what they might have been, what their arrival might have meant for the community, or any of the other situations that were faced throughout the year. With the with the game over, the the limits placed on communication, discussion, are suddenly lifted. So yeah, it's it's uh, um, an intentional part on um, Elder's design to create. Mm. Um, a lot of this game is um, being very intentional with what you say, what you're allowed to say, and when. Um, and 
uh, again, uh, I think that's sort of like part of the brilliance of this game is that it is very, it is a very concise game. Like I have the printed version. I backed the original Indiegogo campaign in 2013. Um, and it's just like a, the size of an instruction manual you'd get for like your camera. Like it's, it's, it's a small, not even like normal zine size. It's, it's right, let's, uh, yeah. can we all yeah, take a moment to pause and acknowledge? Yes, Ross, you were into the quiet year before it was cool. <laughs> Cred has been officially established. But yeah, I, I have the latest. I have the latest PDF um, mm-hmm. now reopened in front of me. It's sixteen mm-hmm. pages. Yeah, I mean that's that's all. Um, and I'm I'm going to do the the footnote at, at this point that I I feel in some way responsible for this because I was um, in many ways the guy who kind of started off the small form factor GMless story heavy mechanics light thing with Baron Munchausen in 1998 and then the rest of the New Star games. Munchausen was 24 pages. Um, could have probably gone less, but the whole thing about the important part of Munchausen is the setting and the tone of the text that sets it up. I don't think it would have worked at 16. The fact that there is so much richness in 16 pages here is is just extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you may look at it on whichever your favorite commercial download site is and go <laughs> that seems like a lot of money for not a lot of game it's a lot of game it's just not a lot of <laughs> description it, of it um yeah you can also get a a hard copy uh version with the yes. the rules booklet and a custom deck of cards each season is colored differently um and with some tokens for contempt and some dice uh ah. and a turn summary uh so uh and it comes in its own little bag a uh, little burlap bag, which is quite lovely. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, $52 before shipping. So I think that's, that's you know, there's a lot of... The luxury it, option. Well, I mean, like a big hardcover book, you know, is often 50 bucks, And you I think you're going to get as much gameplay value out of this as you are with a lot of, like, thick uh, hardcover mm-hmm. books. Um because that's yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's one way to look at the game is like how much gameplay you get out of it. And certainly, I've gotten uh, uh, my money's worth with this. Um, but uh, there are a couple other elements of the the base game we should we should talk about. So uh, the base mechanic is you know every week there's a new crisis as we mentioned drawing a card, um, but there's also the projects which we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the way it works is you can uh, create a project and when you create a project, you set a die to determine how many weeks it takes to complete. Um, If the project die reaches, so it starts, you know, let's say at four or whatever. um, And then when it gets down to zero, so you just move the die from four to three to two to one to zero, uh, the die gets removed and the project is completed. Whoever started the project gets to tell everyone how it turns out and update the map to reflect its completion. Uh, Some cards will cause projects to finish early some will cause them to delay some will just derail them Mm -hmm. um yeah and a project could be i want to uh you know plant a pumpkin patch or a project could be i want to build a giant biomechanical robot to protect us depending on what you've established as your tone and setting expectations Mm -hmm. my take my view of uh or or what jumped out at me as I was reading The Quiet Year is that this is like a history simulator, only it's not history, it's future history or alternate history or fantasy history, but it is historical 
theory separated from the great men theory of history and the great men theory of history, the very, very short, sketchy version is, is that history is just this lazy thing that's flopping there or until a great man, you know, in the great men theory, proponents always phrase it as a man comes along and kicks it into a new shape. And these are all these, these giants of science and politics and religion who have had these visionary uh, uh, inspirations that allow them to change the course of human history. Uh, And, you know, it's set aside, it's set in opposition to the idea that Mm, history happens because huge masses of people are all into one thing at the same time. And, mm-hmm. you know, and clearly there are interactions and clearly there are great historical figures. But I tend to think that even if we hadn't had Adolf Hitler in history, that some kind of disastrous German racist organization would have arisen because there was just too much bitterness and unaddressed animus stewing around. If it hadn't been him, it would have been someone else. And it would have been different, but still would have been some kind of violent, horrendous convulsion. Uh, And this is true of, you know, the, the American Civil War. I mean, if uh, um, if Lincoln hadn't been there, it would have been someone else. Uh, the American Revolution, if it hadn't been the founding fathers, it would have been someone else because the British were just asking too much and were far enough away that they couldn't really enforce their will. Although, I will say, thinking about the American Revolution, I'm like, the fact that George the Third was not functioning well. Certainly had a powerful impact on, you know, mm-hmm. on the way events turned out. But uh, this to drag this kicking and screaming back on topic. <laughs> this game is saying, you know, no, we're not going to focus on the heroes. We're going to focus on because there, there's no heroes. You know, you don't have your guy in this game. You have your community, and you are passing it around like a tray of hors d'oeuvres for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and and to clarify a little bit about the basic mechanic, um, it's actually everyone takes a turn. Um, one player is the active player each week. They draw a card, resolve that card. Uh, project dice are reduced by one, and then the active player chooses and takes one action. Discover something new, hold a discussion, or start a project. Uh, we already talked about start a project. Discover something new is creating a new map feature, um, and whole discussion is uh, talking about this. Um, so, sort of exploring the the sort of which is world building, like exploring the community and at, sort of interrogating uh, what is happening, uh, not just in the community but also the the area. Um, and there are mechanics for all of those, and they're very specific about when you can talk. And when you can discuss something. So if you want to talk about something, you have to that that has to be your action. Yes, it's very it's very constrained storytelling. It's very structured, um, mm-hmm. and you know, as with so many good storytelling games, one must embrace the constraints rather than fight fight against them. Because if you do, you will create this this really interesting narrative. 
I was talking about the the map. Um, yes, which for yeah. me is 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 part of the the heart of it. You set up this map. There's a piece of paper in in the middle, and this is not representational. It's it's just diagrammatic. You don't have to be able to draw well. And at the start, everyone agrees to add one feature. I mean, you you agree jointly what sort of environment you're going to be, and then everyone adds one feature, and then you decide one abundance, something that your community has in good quantity, and two scarcities, and you add those to the map. And then as the game goes on, other features get added to the map. It becomes this collaborative, creative thing, this ongoing record, not Mm -hmm. just of the community, but of its growth and its changes as well. And then the Frost Shepherds appear and the thing is just locked in in ice. (laughs) And and that becomes the chronicle of, of your of your quiet year. And I think that's fantastic. I really, it's a very, very clever mechanic indeed. And this for me is the heart of a lot of Avery's stuff. And I'm, I am a huge fan. Um, mm-hmm. She does an awful lot, with very little. Um, and you may read through some of her, you know, very slight rule books and think, not quite sure why that's in there. It's there for a reason. And it's a very good reason. <laughs> and some of these things are just, they don't have a game effect, but they have an effect on the play or an effect on the story or an effect on the tone. And Sounds like contempt tokens. Yes. Which, yes. Go, tell us about contempt tokens, Greg. <laughs> uh, so part of the game, one of the things you can do is choose to discuss things. And so mm-hmm. it's like, well, I don't think we should be growing. I don't think we should be building a giant biomechanical thing when we can't even get the pumpkins to grow and you can go around and the person who calls the meeting kind of decides how it goes uh but you let me find the quote a discussion never results in a decision being made everyone weighs in and that's over this is how conversations work in communities they are untidy and inconclusive affairs and i'm like that's okay extremely real Uh, If you feel like you weren't consulted or honored in a decision-making process, you take a piece of contempt and place it in front of you. And this never turns into, oh, well, when you have 15 contempt, this tipping point is reached and the civilization tears itself apart. No, it's just sitting there saying, this is how pissed off I am. And you can give contempt back if things if you feel better about things and i i love how emblematic it was as soon as i saw that this game had contempt tokens i'm like i think i'll probably like whatever that is and i was right so the like i mentioned the game originally came out in 2013 in 2019 avery released a new edition of it and where she clarified some of the text in the rules but also changed two small mechanical things um, one was the Ace of Autumns was revised, but the the relevant part is the option to discard contempt tokens to justify selfish a- actions has been removed to aid teachability and to reinforce one of the core themes of the game, how distrust lingers. So um, that was a change between the, the first and second edition, I guess. So it got meaner. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, well, you know, having only had the uh, 219 thing, because, uh, you know, oh, I. you say you're an Avery fan, but can you name three of her games? Oh, no, I can't. 
Um, yeah, in, in the original version, it says if you want to act selfishly to the known detriment of the community, you can discard a, a contempt token to justify your behavior. Um, oh. You decide whether your behavior requires justification. This will often trigger others taking contempt tokens in response. So, uh, yeah, it still leaves in the rule that you can, uh, if someone else does something that you greatly support that would mend relationships and rebuild trust, you can discard a contempt token to demonstrate how they have diffused past tensions. Right. The thing I was going to go back to, this is, uh, I like the map. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is, have we moved on to how it does what it does? Um, I mean, talking about the mechanics of the game is still what it does. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I like the map because I feel it gives it this interesting sort of visual kinesthetic thing to it. And you don't have to be a great artist to play the quiet year. The example no. map looks like something the three of us could have done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, and that's part of the point, I think. It's everyone's involved. It's not meant to look lovely. It's just, it's a it's a record. Yeah, it specifically says it doesn't matter if you can draw or not. You're going to draw on this map. Um, I have a scan of the one we did for the RPPR game, and I just looked it up, and it is very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and that, and that's fine. Like, that's... The whole point that you're you're supposed to participate in this game, like every honestly, yeah. the thing that stuck me about the map, and this is mm-hmm. on, was the line scarcities of running water and transportation are both drawn in as well, and I'm just like, how? Mm. It, it's it's like uh, it's like Pictionary. How do you draw a scarcity of transportation? Broken bricks. I guess. Um, and, and scarcity of water can be a poisoned well or a dried up riverbed. Or so you got to draw a whole well and then a skull and crossbones over it. Or, or you could, <laughs> or you could just make the graveyard a little bigger. Yeah, um, that I mean that's one of the challenges of this game is like it, there's very the there's very little text, but it's very specific about it once, and so you have to sort of so it's demanding at times to be like what what does this mean? You know, you have to think about what words are on here. But again, it is like Pictionary. I, I think, you know, the, the <laughs> people who do badly at Pictionary are artists because they think, how can I do a beautiful rep- representation of what of the subject I've been given to to draw? They, the people who are actually good at it are the people who just start sketching immediately and sketch any old thing but can convey. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's what the map is. It's You find a way to convey it. And because you've talked about it, everyone knows what that is, what that thing represents. And it may just end up looking like a scribble to somebody who wasn't there, but to those who ah. was there, who were there, you know, that's the, the, the poison weed or, or you know. The- <laughs> that's that's an ink blot. Oh, no, that is the battlefield where so many good men and women fell to the pipe. No, dude, that's an ink blot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking back at the map that I made, you know, uh, these years ago, I was like, I... I I would have to re-listen to the thing in order to remember what every little line meant. Actually, it's pretty vague. It's pretty abstract, and I think it's par- partially also like challenging people to get side a little bit out of their comfort zone because mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. would never want to draw because they're not good at it, you know. And mm-hmm. so um, this is like no, 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 it doesn't matter. You you still have to try. Um, so yeah, I think now we're ready to go on to uh, okay. how the game does what it does. I liked the use of cards mapping to weeks and suits mapping to seasons. I'm like, that's extremely, that's just a tight little correspondence that like, oh, I I, I hadn't thought of that. 52 weeks, 52 cards, four seasons, four. 
uh, suits, that's extremely tight. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like how that works, and I like how you randomize it within seasons, but the seasons all stay in the same order. I'm like, okay, this is very... This is taking something everyone has lying around their house, a deck of cards, and using it in an interesting way and evoking uh, symbolic correspondences and sort of, ah, there's a word I'm looking for that's not epistemological. It's the study of symbols. Come on, you guys. Semiotics. Semiotic. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a very semiotically tidy correspondence, which... I'm sure is a nerdy, nerdy and deeply <laughs> niche thing to to get excited about. But, you know, I got to it's COVID times. I got to take my excitement where I can get it. Yeah. Avery uh, Alder, very interested in this. These topics, uh, all of her games sort of involve these uh, on her about page on her website. She says, I want to learn how to build healthy communities, repair relationships, liberate the imagination, escape the clutches of capitalism. Um, and she all of her games uh, uh, focus on these sort of topics. Um, you know, Dream Askew is also about uh, post-apocalyptic communities, um, uh, the collapse of civilization and rebuilding. Um forming uh we banded together to form a queer enclave a place to live sleep and hopefully heal um what lies in the rubble for this uh close-knit group of queers could it be utopia ribbon drive is a road trip game uh and the music you listen to on the open road um and so it's it she has a very clear idea of her work and this is like this is sort of her first major work um and it really starts popping in because there's very few setting elements one of the things it does do is say this is a community of 60 to 80 people um which is gives a real interesting focus to the community because you can't really um especially recently there are there are games about building uh doing world building and uh, um and like things like microscope and fellowship uh which are much larger scale but this is like no this is very focused you're like you know, you know, everyone, everyone knows everyone else by name uh, in this community. Um, and it's interesting, but there have been yeah. com- games about communities, about building communities before. And um, Greg is going to remember, what was the last unicorn game that they did before they did all the licenses? Aeon? Oh, um, I know the one you're talking about. The one that was impossible. Um, the one that, yes, another impossible role playing game in two massive <laughs> volumes. Um, and oh it was about, yeah, you know it was you created the world and you played out the world and it was a you know mm. fantastic folly, um, and I could never work out how to play it. Nobody could. The I mean I I believe even the author came out and said yeah I did that while I was getting a sociology degree and it is you know this thing uh, this thing I acknowledge unplayable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the other one, of course, is Ars Magica that we we talked about yeah. last session, which is ex- explicitly about the Covenant. It's about your community, and all the characters are part of this community, and everything feeds back into that community. And, it, and really, it's the story of the community rather than the story of the individual characters, because mm-hmm. characters come and characters go, particularly the Grogs. Um, so it has been done before. That territory has been ex- explored before, before, but often within the context of traditional role-playing structures, often at some length, talking about Eon again. <laughs> cough, um, cough, rain, cough, cough. <laughs> yeah, um, this, is, this is what? This is 2030. When, when did rain come out? But yeah, but one could make the argument that Pendragon is, is you know, the uh, same thing again, which is, you know, it's it's about the court. It's about the, the, um, um, the chivalric order. 
but this is the first this, edition is 2007 for rain yeah oh, that uh, sounds right yeah um, uh, that there's a review on rpg.net about it so <laughs> uh, yep but this does this feels like something different this feels like something fresher and and mm-hmm. one only has to look at its influence as, as well i think an awful lot of games picked up on this and mm-hmm. and you know if they didn't take the whole thing they took elements from it and some people did take large chunks of it um Ken Heights Killing Bugsy Seagull, which actually appears in <clears throat> in my game Las Vegas, um, which came out short, not not that long after, um, or at least Ken wrote Killing Bugsy Seagull not long that not mm-hmm. that long after is again a game based around storytelling with a deck of cards um, in different orders, and and you know it's it's really interesting to kind of map one against the other, um, yeah. although that's not so much community driven. He he takes the storytelling system from it, but he, he leaves the community stuff behind. Something I've been looking at is um, uh, Avery did a follow-up game a few years later. I don't have a date on it. It doesn't seem to have a date on it with um, Mark D.S. Truman um, called The Deep Forest, which is, it's essentially the quiet year without the colonialist elements. Um, and you are not a, cu- a community of humans, which is an unspoken thing within the quiet year, but is, I think, assumed by an awful lot of people, you are explicitly a community of monsters who have been driven out of somewhere and you're just trying to survive. And instead of it being <coughs> the Frost Shepherds um, coming on the, the the King of Spades, it's the heroes. <laughs> and again, the heroes arrive and the game abruptly ends. And yeah. it's really interesting because a lot of the little a lot of the changes are simply in the vocabulary the structure is broadly simple similar but just um changing few of the elements um and simply the way that things are spoken the game takes on a very different tone um it is it's a uh, i believe it's a free download um it's, mm-hmm. it's linked, yeah it's linked i just downloaded from, it. yeah it's linked to from the quiet year pdf um mm-hmm. that i have um there's a couple of little changes like the um the contempt tokens you don't they don't go in front of the player they go in front of one of the particular monsters dens on the map so you know which monster is is feeling the contempt um mm. which i think is is more elegant but perhaps might weaken the story i'm not i, I haven't i haven't played deep forest um but uh i've forgotten how i got onto this um, yeah. But yes, but it, is, it exists. It's it's doing the community thing, but with all, I'm not going to say turned on its head, but turned in a very to face in a very different direction to the original. I think the two should be read really as a pair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost it's like reading the Earthsea books and then reading the uh, I'm going to get this one the fourth one, the one that's um, from the female point of view, and it's only oh oh okay, so it was the first three books were a yin. And then there's a yang. Um, so yes, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, and and well, North goes back and looks at their own work in that kind of way, and um, um, and collaborates with um, Mark mm-hmm. Diaz Truman, who who, uh, who I believe has just made a quite astonishing amount of money with the um, uh, his Kickstarter for Avatar. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, just yeah. is, is it the highest RPG Kickstarter of all time? It's certainly one, yeah, of the, one of the highest kicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it cleared ten million or close to ten million. So yeah, I believe it. At, at tabletop role playing games, I believe it's yeah. number one. Um, so yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. an amazing Kickstarter. Um, yeah, and, and, and an amazing designer. I'm not, no, I'm not yeah. going to say he's a good designer because he's very rich. I think he's very mm. rich because he's a very good designer. Um, I, I backed Cartel back in the day, um, mm-hmm. which is a really lovely piece of work. Yeah, I mean, Magpie also published Bluebeard's Bride, I believe. So. Of course they do. Yeah. Of course. So. That was stupid of me. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, weird. The same p- names start coming up uh, as we, we look at these. Uh, uh, it's the industry is not games. actually yeah. that big. No, it's not. Um, yeah, one one thing though, um, in talking about the Quiet Years influence, I believe um, it's. I, now I'd have to study this a little more carefully, but there is is uh, uh, is one of the earlier um, storytelling games that I believe focuses explicitly. Well, like. Um, Alders, other games like Monster Hearts are very and Dream Skew, as I mentioned, are very queer focused. But like, there's a huge uh, community and or scene of like uh, games that are especially pu- ones published on itch.io, but not exclusively there that are um, really focusing on storytelling um, games that are well. Uh, well, it's not traditional role-playing games that are really focused on like building up about relationships and about uh, people, um, and especially queer people, like Monster Hearts, which is you know about monstrous teenagers trying to fit into society, and it's obviously a lot of that. Wait, that could be being a literal monster might be a metaphor for being like an outcast, like a you know a, a queer teenager. Um, weird. Uh, so <laughs> who could have guessed such a thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, and. Um, these, and I've played some of these games and I know some of the people who, who have played them and it's a very different experience than say like playing a trad RPG, you know, there it's very much on, you know, role playing in the sense of like creating scenes and characters that are memorable. I mean, I have, there are, uh, some of these games that I've played, um, like one of the, uh, regular people who shows up on RPPR, uh, Bridget, um, she's run some amazing like one shot scenarios that, uh, and, I it, it's it's really interesting to see this um, alternate design space and alternate you know people who have very different ideas about what a game should be and what it should do. Um, they're very interested in like role playing games is like cathartic you know like to process their life and to talk about it and to make meaningful art. Um, and I think the Quiet Year is uh, if you're interested in this kind of game and that kind of experience, the Quiet Year is a really good experience. Um, when I played it, I played it more wacky and gonzo as I did. I would like to play it with people who wanted to do like a sincere game about people about a quiet year, which I think the game is more intending to, but not limited to, um, obviously, because it, it's it's open to the players. So, yeah. Well, something, something I've been thinking about with fiction, I'm going to go off on a little tangent, but I think it's extremely, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, probably I see this in fiction because I saw it first in gaming, and in gaming it is much broader and uh, undeniable. So I think of I think of fiction as existing stretched between the writer who writes it and the reader who reads it, right? And the death of the author thing says, no, it's all the reader. But I mean, mm-hmm. if there's nothing for the reader to read, there's no fictional experience. And uh, at the same time, you know, there are people who are like, well, you know, the writer controls everything. But no, there is language is an imprecise tool mm-hmm. to some degree, always to a great degree, often. And when you have ambiguity at any point in your text, that is an invitation to the reader to interpret or imagine what that might mean. And to me, 
I, I've more and more wanted to leave ambiguity in so that the reader can add themselves to the piece. In gaming, this is much more obvious. It's like, okay, I can write what the rules of the game are, but you are going to be in charge of what you choose to do Mm -hmm. at the table. And so I think that a lot of what's going on with this is opening up that space between the writer and the player or the writer and the reader. And one really good example of that, I think, is actually um, the contempt tokens, uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, the contempt tokens like how the, it's also a really good element of like how the game does what it does. Um, because I, one comment I have seen in discussions of this game, and certainly this came up in our own playthrough, is people being dissatisfied with the contempt tokens as a game mechanic. Because unlike everything else in this game, it doesn't have a mechanical, there's no. It doesn't do loop. anything. It doesn't mm. do anything. It doesn't do anything in game terms. No. Uh, that is, yeah, ex- it, correct. And uh, people like, why do we even have them if we're not doing anything with them? Because everything else is like a tight loop, it, a closed loop. You know, you draw the cards, you do the projects, uh, or you take your action and you move on. Um, but like, that's I think obviously, uh, you know, Alder's intention as a designer is like, well, guess what they represent, and guess what it's creating dissatisfaction at the game table because you have these tokens that you can't get rid of, and there's no, there's, there's no like, oh, if you have too many tokens at the end, the frost shepherds give you a bad ending. If you have not many, then you have good a good ending. Like that would be the obvious thing to do, but like this game purposefully does not do that um, mm. be as, as a statement to be like, well, this is what they represent. And now you're going to feel a little bit of contempt and dissatisfaction. Cause like they're there on the game. Yes. It's almost, it's, it's, there's an unspoken thing there about, um, you know, the whole thing. If, if you die unhappy, if you, you know, if you take mm. um, your, your misery to the grave, then, you know, your soul will be unquiet and there'll be a sense that the story has never really ended. It is better to, to die without that contempt. Then, assuming that you do die at the end, and I think on something I've done in a couple of games, and when I read that, uh, partly the contempt token thing, but also the thing about the game just ending, is this a rule that the designer intends to be broken? Is it phrased like this as almost as a challenge to the players and go, "This is I'm going to tell you how to play it," but without explicitly saying, "Do your own thing." I am encouraging you here to do your own thing. I don't, I don't I, know, but that was yeah. that was my. I wondered if that yeah. was it. Um, I don't think uh, Alder wanted people to do that. I think uh, uh, Alder said, "This is this is how you're doing the game. Um, this is this is what the game is about." Um, and but like on the other hand, she also expressed uh, people and being very excited about people using this as a way to world build. RPG settings uh, in other games. Um, so I'll talk more about that later. But so she's open to people using the game in unintended ways. I, I was going to say, it seems like a bit of a stretch to say, oh, Avery clearly wanted us to do X. And in order to encourage that, what she said was explicitly not X. Don't do it. I'm like, that's, yeah. a, that's a, I don't think we're playing four dimensional chess in her mind palace i think when she said don't do x what she meant was she didn't want us to do x yeah i 100 percent. yeah not yeah i don't think 
Uh, she was playing mind games. I don't think that's her. <laughs> mind games, baby! Woo! I mean, the, the thing that comes across all of her work, at least uh, to me, is sincerity. Like, she really does, mm. um, you know, wear, wear her heart on her sleeve and, like, wants to make these very honest uh, games. Yeah, it's all, almost heartbreakingly, you know, honest at, at some point. Um, I just think Brave Little Sparrow or Brave Sparrow is is um, which is almost a micro game. It's a solo game. Um, I'm not going to spoil it if you've not if you're listening to this and you haven't read Brave Sparrow. Go I and haven't. download Brave Sparrow. It's extraordinary. It's it's one of, I read it once and it, it stays with me and and it's this is going to make me it's, sad. It's surreal, but at the same time, it's a little bit sad. But at the same time, there's a truth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it fits in ex- exactly with the, the kind of the meta text that you were talking about about queer spaces and trying to find safe spaces for alternate I- identities, which mm-hmm. role playing games have have been for for decades and, and decades. You go back through the the history of the hobby, and that you know there's trans people cropping up all over the place. I think mm-hmm. partly because this kind of this imaginative space was somewhere that they could be themselves, but also the community. As well, well, large chunks of it have been welcoming and, and open to mm-hmm. people with with different identities, and you know, some trans people have risen to very high levels with within the industry as as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, footnote, and that's something we should be incredibly proud of as, yeah. as well. We should nurture them and 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 champion them. So, uh, uh, yeah, like another thing is um, the game specifically says it's for two to four players, but uh, most of the p- times. I could see, I mean, in my own experience, I believe I ran it with five people. I'd have to check. But, um, I mean, I could see this game scaling very well for larger groups. Um, and so, you know, there's that as well. I just want to mention that. But, like, one thing is, like, you know, we we already compared it to Ars Magica. But, like, looking at the, the, the density of rules from Ars Magica mm. to The Quiet Year. And, like, The Quiet Year is obviously very much a one-shot game. You, you play a complete game in two to four hours. Uh, you can get two to four hours of gameplay from this tiny booklet and deck of cards and uh, versus Ars Magic, which is meant to be played and only like fully enjoyed after you play multiple sessions and you're really invested in massive, it. massive campaigns, yeah. massive campaigns. But like, like, I think that's sort of the like, this is a very elegant game because it gets to what you actually do in a game and actually pay attention to in a game without adding um you know layers of manipulation yeah layers of stuff that you don't want use or you misremember you know like it's like encumbrance rules in in D &D. like (laughs) it's is it really adding on to the game do you really want the game to be about encumbrance um the quiet year is a has a very laser focus on what it wants to do and it does it and knows that you don't need anything else um and you don't actually need that many rules in order to create an interesting game if that's what your vision is. So I found that I find that like really in in some ways inspiring and also intimidating because it's like, oh, man, I could have written a lot less uh, for my game. Uh, maybe I should focus on that in the future. Um, you know, less is more, uh, I think, because uh, like I know whenever I'm running a game. Um, I, there's, it's more the rules I don't remember. It's like the, the, I'm only really running maybe 30 to 50% of the game rules. I'm really only engaging with it. Um, even in a relatively simple game like Delta Green, um, which is pretty easy to run by traditional RPG standards. 
I think compared to say like, you know, Ars Magica or GURPS, um, for example, the, there's still a lot of stuff like bureaucracy rules to acquire uh, gear um, or certain other systems that I, I, I often screw up or kind of like eh, hand wave or hand wave. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's a, a key element of how it does what it does. But yeah, I mean, yeah. my uh, my notes for how do people play is, you know, just three little three little entries, no ongoing campaigns, no prep, ideal for cons. Because also you're uh, all participating in the map drawing. So it's like you're all yeah. around the table and you all yeah. have that common thing. And then you, you no can, you prep. Know, yeah. <laughs> and the more kids you have, the more you probably appreciate the beauties of a no prep game. Yeah, this is really an all ages game. Now I think about mm. it in a way that few of our games have been uh, that we've talked about on this because the language is very simple, but very direct. And like the questions I think are, you know, someone new arrives who or two of the younger members get into a fight. What provoked them? Like those are the kind of prompts that like anyone can answer and come up with a good response. You kind of do want to see this played by a gang of seven-year-olds now, don't you? Perhaps with <laughs> an adult present to sort of moderate and manipulate mm-hmm. the cards and whatnot. And, yeah. You now, know, keep are, them- if I remember correctly, there's a mention once or twice of a facilitator. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever properly explained or really gone into any detail. But there is a sense that Avery's thought about this being run with someone Perhaps, you know, just come almost in the background to nudge, make sure the story stays on, on track. Well, and it's at the beginning, it has, you know, okay, um, read this part aloud. As the facilitator, read the regular text of this chapter aloud to the group, following the instructions written in italics as you go. So it's it's very scripted in its presentation of how you get into it. Yeah, I think the facilitator is just the person who uh, you well is assumed to own the game and is the one teaching the game. Like that's actually one of the oh, things okay. this game explicitly says is like it's three to four hours, including teaching the game, uh, which very few games really take that into account at all. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's very nice. And oh, sorry, I'm going to jump in here. It mm-hmm. explicitly it tells you how to teach it as well. You specific gives yes. you text. To read to the players, almost in. I'm going to get foofy. Um, it's almost ritualistic. It's almost you. You do things mm-hmm. in a very particular way, in a very particular order, and it's quite meticulous. And if you're doing this with a different group of players or with people who'd never come across it before, then there's a very good reason for that. If you're doing it with the same players, then you do it for the second time, you do it for the third time, or something. It requires acquires almost a kind of a ritualistic overtone to it. This is what you do at the start of a game of the quiet year. And I think that's very much part of the atmosphere of the mm-hmm. thing, part of the the opening up this this other space, this magic circle, almost this sacred space in which the game and the story is going to to take place. And I've, I've waffled about magic circle in, in the past, <laughs> but the idea of it just being punctured at the end by the drawing of the start, and suddenly this thing, this space has gone, this community has gone, there's a, I forget who wrote it, there's a tiny little indie role-playing game out, it's like a one-page conceptual thing, where you, you come up, you say there's, in the next room, there is a perfect but incredibly fragile society, 
um, that has in some way emerged. And if it is in some in any way disturbed, it immediately ends. It, you, you destroy it almost by thinking about it. You, you destroy it, and it's kind of it's a game that you can't play the game because the moment you start to think about the game, the game ends. Um, <laughs> and there's almost an element of of that, but it, in a kind of a, a, a much bigger way that you know you a game that sets out to create this space quite um this this mental space this shared space and mm-hmm. then deliberately punctures it at the end and again i, I re- the the frost shepherds now that the more i think about it the more i really admire the frost shepherds arrive the game is over like you always want them leaving wanting more and, uh, <laughs> like that's a hell of a way to do it and like if you play it right before dinner then you have something to talk about at dinner you know you have something to like a co- like especially at a con like we talk about a con like if you with a group of strangers you can like now you have something like well what 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 do you think would happen after that so everyone can help with their own head canon of what happens or who the frost shepherds are or, or are they even people is it just a term they used to describe a winter storm you know what what does it mean um i would choose yeah. to seduce the frost shepherd <laughs> uh, roll yeah yeah yes thank god that can't happen so <laughs> uh going back to the uh i think we're on to how people play it um yeah which i mean it's yeah. it's that's a pretty i think that's going to be kind of a brief aspect of uh because it's it's like it's very very specific and at the same time very very bounded and the only reason you would change its limits and boundaries is if you didn't actually want to be playing the quiet year if you wanted mm. to be playing Arsmagica or something else the and you're like well let's year. yeah how the can we turn punctuated by gunfire <laughs> How are we going to turn this into an ongoing campaign with, you know, singular heroes whose trajectory from scrappy farm boy whose parents were killed by orcs to warlord of the wastelands? And it's like, no, you're now playing something else. You know, play Apocalypse yeah. World for that. Um, well, actually, that's that's what's happened. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, <laughs> of um, course, it's what's happened. Alder uh, didn't really expect people to use it as a world building way to set up an RPG campaign, but people have actually very popular podcasts uh, like the adventure zone run by the McElroy brothers uh, have used it. Um, and many other groups would be like, all right, we're going to play D and D or we're going to play apocalypse world, but we're going to set up our community or home base with this. Uh, we're going to run a session of the quiet year and that's going to be our village. And then when the fresh shepherd arrives, that's when the campaign begins or they'll, they'll house mm-hmm. rule it. Um, to say we're not going to go all the way to winter. We're going to start in autumn or whatever. Um, and that's, and I could certainly, if I was to like, you know, gun to the head, run a D and D campaign. Well, I could, yeah, I'll do that. We could just do a session quiet year to, to kickstart the, uh, cause then it's a collaborative thing. Every player gets input and they, by the end of that, that session of the quiet year, Everyone knows that area. Everyone knows mm-hmm. like what, mm-hmm. like oh, and the conflicts have been installed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a brilliant way to do a session zero. It's um, it's also uh, uh, players have also talked about at creating. It would be easy to create new cards and new questions, or even to go mm-hmm. cardless. Mm-hmm. Um, to simply have like house rule one player to ask two different questions uh that the group that then the active player has to choose from um so like once you've played a few sessions you you get a sense of what are good questions what are bad questions 
and um, I feel I feel like um, there are uh, resources or communities yeah. uh, that are able to do that. Yeah, I, I talked at I talked at the start about the possibility of taking some of the cards out to give you a different experience each time, so you don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. I also I wondered about the possibility of adding your own cards in. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're with, just talking crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as a way of, you know, it's a way of, of altering the narrative, but within the same constraints and, and w- within the, the structure that uh, that the game establishes. I think that that could work in a really interesting way. Uh, yeah, but our, well, then you would still be playing the, the quiet year, just, uh, you know, the house-ruled quiet year. I want to complain about the years of the future tense, which I know I sound like a broken record, but there's a very easy way to shut me up, which is stop making this very simple but annoying mistake. I just, I don't want to be that guy, but God, I'm so much that guy. I counted. There are 41 uses of the future tense in 16 pages, and that's with a lot of art and very efficient writing. And I'm like... It's so close, but it could be more efficient if... Let me find... uh, Listen to the sound of pages rustling so you'll know I'm taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, If on... If, ironically, in the section pacing, instead of spring will ask us a lot of questions and we will learn more about our communities inner workings and surrounding landscape and summer larger threats of greater progress will both emerge, autumn will challenge us with more serious dangers and losses... That could be spring asks us a lot of questions and we learn more about our communities and our workings and surrounding landscape. In summer, larger threats and greater progress both emerge. Autumn challenges us with more serious dangers and losses. It's not hard. I just, I feel like once people know, everyone will just take it for granted that that's how you should do it, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever wondered if people are doing it deliberately to piss you off, Greg? I'm not that paranoid, and I don't think I'm that important. Um, and I mean, it's I do. It still sometimes slips into my own work, but every time I see it, I just become so con- consumed with self hatred that I never let it happen uh, very often. So, yeah, yeah. Um, please, but, please, uh, future game designers, show kindness to an aging man. Yes, you you can use the future conditional if you're writing a time travel game. That's acceptable. Nope, not even that. <laughs> God, I'm trying to find a loophole somewhere. Yeah, this is. Yeah. I will die on this hill, and I will take every one of you with me. You really, you really will. It is uh, very. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I um, should have said I'm dying on this hill, and I'm taking every one of you with me. Let, let the listeners decide that. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll let them be the judge of that. Let us know in the comments. Um, I do want to say, um, thinking about how people play it. Um, yes. Now, one thing we haven't really mentioned at all. One, there is one element which are the resources, in that you you have an abundance and you have a scarcity, and the, this is sort of sort of a, a something to drive conflict and storylines in the game. Um, so I just want to mention that as another element of the game. But um, the Quiet Year probably um, is a game that is very structured in terms of when you can talk and when you are not allowed to talk, um, which uh, very few other games even really 
acknowledge as a thing. I wonder how closely uh, groups actually follow that. Mm. Because, um, (laughs) you know, most games are free flowing conversations where people interrupt each other, uh, people run long, uh, people meander or people don't say enough and they they miss their cue Um, in quiet year. The the ritualistic element is really like who can talk and win. It's almost, you know, like a a call and response in a church to a degree of like, Mm -hmm. I do this. Now you say this and we move on. so I don't know. Um, I, 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 I think we, when I played it, I remember we tried to take that rule pretty closely, but um, uh, yeah, James, what do you think? Uh, do you think people, is that something that gets violated frequently uh, in I these think, kind of games? Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because I think the quiet year has become almost emblematic of a, a particular style of game. I said how influential it's been, I think, you mm-hmm. know, also, people who don't play this sort of game think about a lot of story games in in terms of the quiet year or in terms of their perception of mm-hmm. the quiet year. I think I think people do um, they try to play it uh, or they will start off playing it by the rules as, as I think most of us do. You know, um, and some groups will will move away from that. They will find a, a, a rhythm or a, a set of beats that works better for for them. In creating the type of stories that they want to create, whether it's quiet, whether it's a proper quiet year story or not, is is debatable. But um, everything you know, gets I, house ruled. It's just like encumbrance. It's 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 true. Everybody brings their own stuff to it. And I said, you know, I, I think Avery's writing is incredibly. I think the structure is incredibly fine. I think a lot of the little nuances and little hints in there are beautifully judged. It's quite possible a lot of people don't pick up on it. I know, you know, in much longer games where particular rules have been stressed for pages at a time, I completely forget that those rules exist <laughs> or, or simply pay no attention to them. It's quite possible that people either gloss over a, a, a rule that isn't stressed or a point that isn't stressed or a little um, a, a tweak mm-hmm. or alternatively interpret it or think they have it right, but but don't. I mean, as I don't think very few of us ever played D&D the way Gary Gygax intended us to, and I think Gary Gygax was probably quite disgusted by that, but oh, no. the community <laughs> became much richer because of it. And I think one of the reasons that uh, it's been so influential is people have played it and, you know, worked out very quickly how to how to tweak it, how to house-rule it, how to turn it into the game they want to be not their own version of the quiet year, but a different game using a similar structure. And um, it's it's you know it's a very short game. It's very easy to rewrite. It's very easy mm-hmm. to reskin. Very easy to put your own spin on it. Um, and it's it's gone out there and it's kind of become almost a. Um, I'm not going to say an, an ambassador, but um, it's uh, it, its influence has has spread widely. Yeah. Well, and and I like that because as I'm looking at this, I what what my insights were with you know why do people play it the way they play it uh, is this I'm reading this I'm like this is genuinely taking some assumptions often un uh, unconsidered or underconsidered assumptions and just yanking the rug out from underneath them. It's like oh there must be winning no. 
There's no winning in the quiet game. The Frost Shepherds show up. That's what happens. I mean, there must be yeah. protagonists. No, this there's, is the story of a collective. There's little triumphs that you get in most tabletop role-playing games. There's, you know, there's, there's minor successes, but... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the little thing. You gotta, you gotta celebrate the little thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the assumption that there has to be a climax, that it has to, you know, you need your rising action, and then the big finale... And then, uh, you know, and then falling action in the the sort of five-act or three-act structure. But, you know, this is like, no, here's some stuff that happens. Um, And then it stops. And, you know, and finally, the assumption that mechanics must do something other than give form to feeling. And I'm like, that, but that's all contempt tokens do, is (laughs) they take your incohate scent. Did I pronounce that right? your unformed sense of dissatisfaction and give you a tangible object that you can hear clatter against the pages uh, or uh, clatter against the tabletop and map as you drop it in front of you saying, this didn't satisfy me. I don't like it. And so, yeah, it's doing a lot of new stuff and pushing uh, uh, games in new directions. And I'm like, that's probably why it was so popular is that people like things that are new. And I mean, people also like things that are the same, but different. Uh, And this, I think, is much more on the different end of the same, but different. And generally, it is harder to succeed with something that is very different and a little the same than it is to succeed with something that is very the same, but a little different. So kudos to Avery for managing, for taking a big swing and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think I don't think when it came out it felt revolutionary. Um, but looking back on it now, after eight years, it's it still doesn't feel revolutionary. What it does feel is subversive. It takes <laughs> an awful lot of the troops tropes that we've got grown used to in group storytelling games, including role playing games, but also the stuff that came out of the Forge, the stuff that came out of New Style all the rest of that, and it just quietly tweaks it and pushes it in its own direction. It uses dice. It uses them as scoring tokens. You never roll the dice. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. I love yeah. the dice are on the table. If you like dice, the dice are just there. You yeah. just never roll them. You never get that little bit of, of magic, hope and anticipation and random surprise when a dice rolls. The dice are deterministic. and <laughs> I've, I've, There are many other games that do that. But not like this, not in the way. There, I can't think of one that does it exclusively. They exist yeah. only as counters, and you know, it could you could have done anything with the for counters. Uh, the you know, the dice are something that everyone will have on hand, and which interact nicely with the landscape of the physical map. But yeah, I think the new Warhammer Forty K RPG Wrath and Glory. Uh, there's a wrath yeah. die that I believe is used as a as a counter, and as you build up wrath, you can unleash certain abilities if you're a space marine or something. But um, that's the only other uses of die as a counter I can think of off the top. Yeah, it's, it's uh, 13th it's age. Yeah. Um, yeah. games as well. It, well, yeah, well, I was just talking about RPGs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy. <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> the escalation yeah. die in 13th age, it's like, okay, well, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. When it's one, everything's normal. When it's two, things get a lot. You know, you add add the escalation die to different effects and uh, so that by the time you're six rounds into a combat, you're really chugging along. 
So yeah, I, I always think of the uh, Escalation Die in Thirteenth Age as the um, playing music as someone's giving a, th- a thank you speech at the Oscars to like hurry them up, <laughs> with, like get this fight over with, you know, <laughs> stop stop missing so many hits, uh, hurry up. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about more if we do that episode. You know, one question that that, that I would have, I actually just did a, a search. Um, and I found, uh, you know, you talked about the deep forest as a quiet yeah. year hack or adaptation. Um, I found another one. Uh, I would say companion yeah. piece myself. But, yeah, yeah, companion piece. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a third party one called For Guild and Glory, a quiet year free variant where it's set in a medieval fantasy setting where players uh, are, are uh, looking over the uh, an adventuring guild um, and the Dark Lord is going to arrive and are are they going to be staying up? So uh, it's like, well, let's make it D&D. Okay. Yeah, it's right. like, oh, I've been... This is like if someone looked at the Wright Brothers plane and said, how can we make this a boat, though? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that that's sort of the question. Like, I, I, I would... What... I would love to hear from both of you, like what kind of uh, variant or adaptation oh, boy. you would do the Quiet Year. I mean, I oh, have one in mind, um, so I'll, I... I'll go first since I okay. it. Um, so mine would be called the Quiet Condo, um, and this would be it, it, this would be an adapt essentially an adaptation of the Ballard novel High Rise. You are in oh god. A, you're in that a condo luxury. was not quiet. <laughs> it was not quite well, maybe it's quiet because everyone's dead. Um, so it's 60 to 80 people on one floor in a luxury high rise building, a, a condominium. And, um, what, and you're, tra- and everyone just decides to stay in, or maybe they can't leave because there's a zombie apocalypse going outside. You have, it's a, the building itself is an arcology, has plenty of resources, certainly enough to last more than a year. Um, and at the end of the year, the outsiders appear, but are they rescuers? Are they, uh, invaders, uh, raiders trying to take your stuff? Um, is it a plague that will wipe you all out? Uh, that, hmm? uh, so what happens in the year in your condo? Do you build a utopia or are you all going to go, uh, barbecue the neighbor's, uh, uh, chihuahua because he, you need food. You need some meat. That, that is obviously a very different interpretation, but, uh, of the, the spirit of the quiet year. But, um, I, I, I mean, architect, architecture and horror are sort of my things. Uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what I'd do with the quiet year. Uh, it would be easier to think of something if I played it. Um, you know, we could do this as an actual play. This game would, I think, translate very well this, online with a whiteboard. Well, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know that I agree. Okay. I feel that having the tangible tooth of the paper under your pen would mm-hmm. really add something to it for me. And that just like, oh, well, okay. I'll draw with my finger on my trackpad and hope that the program doesn't crash out. I don't know that that would satisfy me. All right. Fair. Um, I know what I, what I'd do. Well, one of two versions. I'm very into kind of constraint. I mentioned constraints and constrained environments. Um, I would put it on a, a small, your, your, your shipwreck survivors on a small oh. island. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a small island and you know, you are, at least you think you are the only people there because if you circumnavigate, you haven't, you've walked around the coast you know that um, you know it's. You walked the periphery exactly. So 
your resources are finite. You may find stuff, but you're not going to suddenly discover the city or the, the hatch from Lost. What you've got is what you've got. And then and dealing with, with that for a quiet year. And so it's, the focus is thrown absolutely on the community and the people within it um, and those interrelationships. That's the way I would take it. Or I'd put it in a, a moon base. You know, you, you're, you're part of a small colony on the moon. You look up one, mm-hmm. one wing. Oh, look, all those flashes on the surface of the Earth. What's going on there? <laughs> Jeez, dude, oh. dark. <laughs> and then, you know, that's it. You know, what's and You know, at the... At the end, at the end, the spaceship lands, and no idea who's in it. Um, that's that's the way I, I'd take it. But then that's the way that's the kind of stories I would be interested in exploring within <sighs> this, this space. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think it's if if I'm looking for a dramatic story, that's what I'd do. But I think it has a huge advantages in it does what an awful lot of role playing games don't. It can be very kind of almost meditative. The clues mm-hmm. in the name. It's a quiet year. Um, and not all the instants are going to be quiet, but overall this is a year that doesn't have, as we've said, the, it doesn't build up to a climax. It doesn't have the big beats of the story structure, oh. deliberately so. Oh, um, you know what? I, I, I thought of a new, a quiet, the quiet dungeon. What happens to a dungeon a year after the big bad <laughs> evil guy is slain? Like oh. the the evil's gone out, uh, maybe do new occupants move in, or or uh, indeed the the player characters have left, having slaughtered half, you know, having taken all the valuables and mm-hmm. killed half of, of the inhabitants. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What wow. Yep. Oh, that'd that's, work. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you turn it into D anD. d As as a stinging critique of the entire dungeon crawl endeavor. Um, okay, what would I do? Uh, I'd be tempted to see if there's a way you can turn the map instead of measuring sp- measuring space. I'm like, okay, let's make it the quiet timeline. And so the the map, I'd do it as like some kind of long strip, and the cards are not events, but locations. And you're trying to track what is happening across the history of a culture or probably maybe one culture mm-hmm. uh, in particular. And it's like, let's see if we can build the past and, you know, explain the present. And so uh, I would replace the, um, you know, the arrival of the Frost Shepherds with a negotiated, this is the crisis we want our culture to be in at the end of the game. And we are going to create a backstory of how we got to this crisis. I don't know if it would work. Yeah, I don't know if that would work or if I'm just, you know, doing big stunty stuff because I'm like, I got to come up with something good. I got to <laughs> yes. do it for the listeners. Yeah. That reminds me of, of something that I, indeed quiet year reminds me of, which is microscope um, mm. is, you know, the lovely, lovely game of, of not just, you're not world building your timeline building, you're creating a chronology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used that to teach students world building and, and, you know, backstory creation and narrative creation. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's it's you can do it with zero prep. You can do it. There's there's creativity. It's a very collaborative thing. It's it's much more structured, and I think there's much more a sense that you're on the outside of the story. 
with my within my mm-hmm. scope. The thing I like about the Quiet Year is even though you don't have a character, you're not necessarily invested within the community in, in the traditional way you would be with a role playing game. You still feel invested. You still yeah. feel like you are part of the story, and what happens in the story is important to you. Uh, yeah, it's a very it's a very zoomed in look of a community because yes. it's a very small community. It's over a relatively limited period of time, and yeah, sixty to eighty people in the community. So like, you're going to be able I, to name you. certain characters. You know, uh, yeah. I can see how, unless you were deliberately holding yourself aloof, it would be pretty easy to invested in these histories underdogs who are stuck in this situation with who don't even know that the frost blade of Damocles is hanging over their heads. So yeah, the quiet year, um, yeah, cannot recommend it enough. Uh, it's it. Uh, yeah. If you print it, print and play the cards or use the online resource to look up, uh, what a normal deck of cards can do, uh, what each, what, what each card represent, what two questions each card has. Yeah. I um, mean, the, the yeah, bargain option is buy the PDF, dump it to your printer. Boom. Yeah. Grab yeah. some, yeah, uh, you're you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that that I think that wraps up uh, this discussion. Unless you have any uh, final words on it, I'm just I have been drinking while we've been doing this. <laughs> I, I'm so I'm going to get out on a limb here, and I'm prepared to be shot down and stuff. But I do feel, as I've said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Avery's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think a lot of her work, and this in particular, is. The, the art word has been banded around an awful lot, an awful lot over the history of of games and role playing games, um, and I think this is one of those titles, one of the few titles that one can point at and go, if we are if we are creating art, then genuinely this is this is where we're, you know, one of the things that gets closest to being a work of art in its own right, not in the stories it creates, but just the game itself is is a work of of art in to the extent that it's taken all the promise that, you know, Gygax and Arneson started in the, in the 70s and, in fact, predate all predating things, you know, Wells. And I've just been uh, reading through Keon Gillen's Die, which the, the final trade paperback for that has just come out. If you don't know it, it's a graphic novel. It's basically, it's the D&D cartoon with grown-ups for grown-ups. And it hits some really big themes, and it's really, really good. I absolutely recommend it without hesitation. Kieran is now designing a role play, has designed a role playing game set in the, the same game world, um, which will be coming out from Rowan Rook and Deckard, who are the people who did Spire, which we may all be mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and Kieran explores a lot of these things. We've talked about a lot of these themes and the history of how games and how game storytelling has, has developed over time. And it's refined and it's refined and it's refined and it's refined every generation. And I think we're starting to, with games like this, which, as I say, eight years old, you feel that that moment of, of kind of almost magic. This is, it's a very accessible game. Anyone can yeah. play this. You need mm-hmm. no prior experience with role play, with narrative games at all. You could sit down and play this with, in my case, my parents. My father is dead, sadly. Um, my mother, who is now 92, she probably wouldn't play this, but she could if I could persuade her to. <laughs> and, and she would she would enjoy it. It's very accessible. It's it's very immediate. It's zero prep, even for people who have never played a narrative game like this before. And they will have an experience which I think if they follow the structure as laid down, they will have a, a moving experience that stays with them in the way that the best novels and the best films do 
as well. And I think that's art. I, I, I think. I don't know if I'll say they will, but I will okay. say it's certainly very possible. There's, I mean, even yes, even the greatest novel or painting or song is going to leave some people cold, and I'm sure there are people for whom. The quiet year just won't function the way it's intended. And I mean, every adult who designs a game eventually finds out that not everybody loves their work. But uh, not to diminish, however, the assertion that if any game is art, this is art. Um, thinking about it, I'm like, okay, what game would I say that is a work of art? I would go with De Profundus. But again, oh, God, that's yes. much <laughs> Much more in my gloomy emo wheelhouse. Um, I don't know. I I tend to shy away from a discussion of, are role-playing games art, though? Because I have been so thoroughly negatively conditioned. It's it's like, uh, you know, I'm like a a dog that got sprayed every time you said, is our game's art? And then you spray it in the face with uh, the, the plant mister. And pretty soon, that dog is, as soon as he hears, uh, our game's art, his tail's going to drop, and he's just going to skulk away to the corner of the bedroom. But I can't uh, remember who, who it was who, who said it. He said, art does not come and lie in the beds we make for it. We can discuss our game's art endlessly, and we'll turn around and discover that games are art while we were talking about it. I think <laughs> I don't know if Avery set out to create something of, you know, that could create art that might even be art in, in, in its own right. I think I think she has. Um, and, you know, with the benefit of, of looking back on it and looking at it within its context and within the wider context of what, you know, media and, and storytelling, I think it's a unique thing. I think it does something in, in a unique way. And I think it does it with a great deal of, of beauty and poignancy. And, you know, for me, art is about creating experiences that move us and, and, Bingo, it does. That was a argument I made and which was responded to in breathtaking bad faith. So <laughs> I'm just going to step away. Um, I will add something from uh, the author Daniel Pinkwater, who was talking mm-hmm. about writing and about uh, his experiences in art school, you know, making prints and painting. And he said, yeah, there's clearly a difference between capital A art and, you know, just art with a small a, which is, you know, oh, you know, someone made a carving, someone made a painting, someone, you know, plinked out a song on the on the guitar. And he's like, and I'm not sure how you can tell when small a art becomes capital A art consistently. But one thing I have learned is that the fastest and most certain way to make small A art is to set out to create capital A art. And so I'm like, yeah, my creative mantra is fuck around and find out. Let's see what's in here. Let's see what happens if I do this. And yeah, sometimes you find out something good as it turns out. Well, I think that's a, the perfect way to end the episode. So, uh, <laughs> if you want to determine this for yourself, you well, there's one way to find out, and that's to play it. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all so much for supporting uh, the Kickstarter. Um, I want to give a special shout out to Sentinel Hill Press, publisher of the Arkham Gazette and other Lovecraftiana. Um, thank you for uh, supporting the Kickstarter. And I will uh, give a special thanks to backer Christoph Nafgen. 
I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm like, have I seen that name in my social media and stuff and backer lists before? And, uh, you know, it's possible that it should be pronounced Christophe Knife Gun, but that's that's maybe a little too on the nose uh, in the role-playing game community. But however it's pronounced, thanks. Uh, and I want to thank Tyler Thompson, uh, another one of the backers, who I, I believe is, is the chap who does uh, publish a number of role-playing um, material in, in his own right, um, and therefore probably has opinions of his own about what constitutes <laughs> art and otherwise in the, the storytelling space. And uh, I hope, even if you don't agree with us, you found um, some material to chew on in mm-hmm. tonight's episode. All right. Uh, well said. We'll talk to you all later. Ta-ta. Bye. Bye.